Do you find comfort in eternal salvation or in knowing you have accepted Christ? Find out what the Bible says about these doctrines. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all those who tune in. Once again, we return to a powerful series of questions that come from a desire to know more about God. The prescription for salvation requires that it be measured with repentance, taken with water, and administered through speaking in tongues. Now this may be a cute play on words but it is a tough pill for so many to swallow. Salvation is not easy. It is a process that requires you to commit to the result, absolute surrender to God. Too many people today have used easy believism as the WebMD for salvation. In this episode, Bishop Riggin highlights one of the most commonly held beliefs. Once someone has been saved, are they always saved? Please join us as we take a biblical approach to understanding salvation. Now, let's rejoin the conversation. Just going back a few things that you mentioned about, I just feel like people are just so deceived with like, once they get saved, they can actually just take the back seat now. I'm saved, I can go about, do whatever, you know, like I'm making it into heaven, like I don't gotta live a certain type of way and be what the definition of a Christian is. So I... Uh, kind of like you mentioned a few aspects, but I was wondering if you could kind of like back on the fact of like God's, there's a certain type of way that God wants us to live. Obviously he wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be holy and pure and godly. Um, so like does making sure you live like that, does that have those promises that are in the word concrete? Um, does that make it more able for those to come to life for someone that's living that type of way? Or does he kind of like make it a little bit of leniency for people that are giving it their best, but they're not still living like righteous and holy. And they're kind of just taking the back seat. Like even like people say they were baptized in Jesus name and all that stuff, but they're not really living that life, you know, that he's calling us to. Um, Cause I was always wondering, like, I just don't feel like he grants those promises to everybody. I feel like you got to be really dedicated living the Christian lifestyle. So I was wondering if you could kind of yes. uh, go in on that. Yes, and I appreciate you asking the question because it is essential. First of all, let me read a verse of Scripture to you here. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Wow. So the same verse that says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. I mean, the same Bible that says that. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water, which we know means to be baptized in Jesus' name, and born of the Spirit, which means to receive the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, you can't enter heaven if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost. Well, the Bible also says you can't enter heaven if you don't pursue peace with all men and holiness. So what this tells me is that no, people can't just take this back seat and try to coast their way in. This is, I'll be honest with you, Brother Miguel, I think that you've touched on one of the most dangerous and harmful 
doctrines that man has ever come up with. And it is this idea of once saved, always saved. Once I've done my little deal, I've got it made. That is to me the most detrimental doctrine that has ever been taught because it does give people this idea that one thing is all I've got to do and then ah, no big deal. From here on out, it's all wrapped up. Even to the point of people saying, you know, I can go out, I can commit adultery, I can get drunk. God just, okay, well, I mean, God loves me. I'm saved. Well, according to this, there's still something required of us. Now, beyond just this scripture, let's think about something from just a logical standpoint. When it comes to being saved, the gospels talk about something that is to come. We can find references of things that would come after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, the new covenant was not in place. So the gospels take place prior to the new covenant. And that's why, like the thief on the cross, people want to point to him when he wasn't baptized. Yeah, but he died prior to the new covenant. So he didn't have to be because he wasn't part of the new covenant. The new covenant requires baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. The thief on the cross was prior to the new covenant. So we don't really look to the gospels, though, like John 3, 5, Jesus starts telling us what is going to be required uh, once the gospel is in place, once uh, the new covenant is in place. But really, there's one book in the Bible that actually shows us people being saved, and that's the book of Acts. It's the only book in the whole Bible where we can see lost souls getting saved. And, and it's a very simple thing. Acts 2.38 tells us what they had to do. And from there on out, we see everybody who gets saved doing the same thing. Nobody accepting Christ as their Savior, which may be the second worst doctrine that's ever been out there. Right. It, it, churches by the thousands are teaching people to accept Christ as their Savior. And that terminology doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Read it cover to cover. I have many times. Nowhere does the Bible talk about us accepting Christ. Nowhere. And yet that's what people are told. No doubt we're recording this episode on Easter Sunday, 2022. Resurrection Sunday, 2022. No doubt churches all across America today were filled with people who came hungry. Mm -hmm. right? And they were told, just accept Christ wow. as your Savior. So true. And they walked out of there thinking they were saved. Yet the scripture never says that. There is no verse you can point to that tells people to do that. Right. That is strictly a man-made doctrine that thousands of churches, hundreds of denominations have adopted. And they cannot take you to the scripture to prove it because it's not there. The book of Acts tells us how people get saved. They repent. They're baptized in Jesus' name. They receive the Holy Ghost. That's clear. There's no accepting Christ. But my point was this. We have one book that tells us how to get saved. Now, there are 27 books in the New Testament. We got four Gospels. We got the one book of Acts. So that's five. That leaves us with 22 books. What are these other 22 books all about? They're written to people who are saved, mm. telling them how to live. 
Wow. Now, wow. if all we've got to do is follow this one act of salvation and we've got it made, why do we have 22 books that are focused on the right way to live? Why is the vast majority of the New Testament telling us how to stay saved if once we get saved, it's all done? Well, obviously, it's not all done. In fact, salvation is a process, and we've got to understand that. We've got it. We, we spent some weeks in a podcast dealing with the process of salvation. We have been saved from the guilt of our past sins, but we are being saved from the allurement of current temptation. Right. And yet the fact is we will be saved when we finally get to heaven. Right. So we can't really say, oh, I'm saved in the truest sense of the word until, as someone said, those pearly gates <laughs> close behind us. That's right. Then we know we are saved. But until then, it's a work in progress. It's, it's like this. I tell people there's a difference between a marriage and a wedding. There's a big difference. Unfortunately... More people spend time planning for the wedding than they do planning for the marriage. The wedding is a one-time celebration. Yep, party time. It's party right. time. Yep. It's, it's a great time for everybody. <laughs> right. And they'll spend hours and weeks and months planning this big event wanting everything to be perfect, wanting every detail right. And yet they don't think about what we're going to do after we say I do. How are we going to make our lives work? What's going to happen to this relationship? And I want to tell you that if all you're focused on is the wedding, you're going to have trouble in the marriage. See, the wedding even if it's very elaborate, I've been to some real elaborate weddings that lasted two hours. I think I even went to one that lasted three. That's a long celebration. Three hours, that's a long wedding. <laughs> I, you better learn not to lock your knees because you will <laughs> pass out. Um, and that has happened. But look, even a three-hour wedding is nothing compared to the years that you're supposed to spend together right. after that wedding. So which should we really be preparing for? Not the wedding, but the marriage. Well, the same thing is true in our Christian walk. This act of being born again is the wedding. That's when we become the bride of Christ. But it's the marriage afterwards. It's this constant ongoing relationship afterwards that the Bible is really focused on. And each of the apostles, the apostle Paul writing most of this, but Paul and Peter and James, they are telling us not how to get saved. They're telling us how to stay saved. They're saying, this is what God expects of you now. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, this is what you've got an obligation to live this way. You've got an obligation to please God. And so even looking at this verse, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, Jesus was asked once, what are the two great commandments? And 
Jesus said, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. He said, the second's like it, and that is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we think about those two things being the two greatest commandments, we see those two commandments really right here in this verse. Follow peace with all men. That's loving your neighbor. And holiness, that's loving God. Right. Those two things are what God expects out of us. Now, again, there are some who say, I'm a Christian because I love my neighbor. I do this. I help the poor. I help the needy. I feed the hungry. I'll Okay, you love your neighbor. But there's another part of this. It's not, that's the second of the two. Don't neglect the first. And there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength means that you're going to seek to please him in everything you do, in the way you look, in the way you act, in the places you go, in the things you look at, the things you read, the things you listen to, what you talk about, every area of your life. When you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, That encompasses every aspect of the human life. And if we love God with every aspect of our human life, then every aspect is going to be governed by, does this please God? Mm -hmm. If a person doesn't do that, then, then it really doesn't matter that they have quote unquote been born again. If they don't do that, the fact of the matter is they don't love God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if we don't keep his commandments, we don't love him. If we don't love him, how are we going to be saved? So that answers the question. Mm -hmm. Will they be saved? Well, if they don't love God, they can't be saved. Mm -hmm. And if they do love God, they're going to seek to please him. That's not being judgmental. That's telling you what the Bible says. The Bible becomes our judge, not me. So it is crucial. But again, the problem with so many is that they've, they've heard this all their life, that once I get saved, it's settled from there on out. So even people that say, okay, yeah, I see I need to be baptized. Okay, yes, I need the Holy Ghost. If they don't forget about the other things that were wrong that they learned, then they'll let those wrong things govern their relationship after they've obeyed Acts 2.38 and they'll go right back into the old habits. They'll go right back into the old lifestyles. And by and by, they become part of those seeds that we talked about in previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. It was a good seed when it was planted, but there was a problem with the soil and Mm -hmm. they allowed the cares of this life, the riches of this world. They allowed temptations. They allowed whatever to cause them to lose out. And it killed the good seed that was planted in their heart in the beginning. Yes, sir. And it's just, it just kind of blows my mind to be honest with you. It's like that you could just say that you believe in Christ and that you're saved. It's like even demons believed in Jesus. Like even the devil knows that who Jesus is. Yep. Like there was even demons in the synagogue the one time Jesus was there. So it's like, it just blows my mind. And I actually read a passage from Colossians that's been actually really dear to me. Um, is that right if I just read it real quick? Sure. So 
it was in Colossians chapter 2, actually. I'm just going to grab uh, from a few uh, scriptures here, tying into this. So it says, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. So that right there, it's like you must follow him after you've accepted him, you know. And then you go down here, and this was, I thought, one of the greatest scriptures about you have to be baptized. That's been really uh, dear to my heart. So... This is Paul, too. Like, he's someone that he even talks about. He has the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding. Like, when he's talking, it's coming from God. Like, God gave him this ability to show us how to be able to make sure that we're saved and living right. So he says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Yes. I was just like, it's like, it's so clear. So it's like, you could just show up one day and say you believe in him. And then you think that you're just automatically walking through those pearly gates. And it's just like, um, the Bible even said that that would happen though. You know, like kind of going back to the sovereignty of God. Like he literally said that the God of this earth would be able to deceive people from the truth. Like they even know the truth, like, but there's still, there's like a veil of deception. Um, So that was something that was always kind of crazy to me that they could still read the word. um, They can still believe in him, but all because they got to get dunked under the water. Everything gets (laughs) turned sideways. I was like, what's going on? Like, it's clear. It's like, it's just, it's not like God's asking much of us either. Like, if you love me, obey my commandments. Yeah, there's however many commandments but at the end of the day is like love me love yes. your neighbor yes. and do these couple things admit that you're wrong repent get baptized it's yeah. like he, this is the god of the universe giving right. us eternal salvation yes. and you can't do these simple steps so right. it was always just something that was surreal to me almost you know but yeah, yeah and, it's and, a journey yes and and this this chapter in colossians is such a powerful chapter in so many ways even the verse that you read now, the King James says, as you have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, which to me is a significant difference. Uh, there's a difference between receiving him and accepting him. The Bible does talk about receiving him. Uh, now, I know the translation that you read uses the word accept, but but I think in that case, and we've talked about translations before, but I think in that case, it was a poor choice because there's a difference between accepting and receiving. And the Bible does talk about receiving, but understanding this, first of all, the only way to receive Christ is through receiving the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we have to receive the Spirit of God to receive Christ. If we use the term accept, then it seems more like it's something we do with our mind. But we receive Him. That's something that happens much deeper. And that's when the Spirit comes. But... But going on, the very next verse, it says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So this is to your point. They want to take this first little part and think it's done. But but this is still a continuing sentence. And he says, it's not enough to start. You have to walk in him. You have to be rooted in him. You have to be built up in him. You have to get to the place you're established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then he goes on, beware. Now again, if if the minute that you accept Christ, it's all settled, why is he giving us any warning at all? Right. Why use the term beware? Right. 
because you got it made now, right? <laughs> right, right? There's nothing to worry about. Well, there are things to worry about. So he says, beware, lest any man spoil you. And that's that was a military term of of capturing the prized possessions of those you conquer. So he says, beware that no one is able to come and take away from you what Christ gave you. Mm. And he said, they'll do this through philosophy. They'll do it through vain deceit. They'll do it based on the tradition of men. They'll do it based on the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is still Colossians 2 and verse 9. In Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And then he goes into this whole idea of circumcision. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Because this is, as you mentioned, Paul clearly connects circumcision with baptism. Now let's think about this. Under the old covenant, there was only one way that you could inherit or become a part of that covenant. And that was through the physical act of circumcision. If they weren't circumcised, it didn't matter that they were Jews. Yep. God said, if they're not circumcised, I don't count them. It doesn't fit. It's not, you have to have that token of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, who was a Jew, is writing now, and he takes that old covenant, knowing that everything in the old covenant was foreshadowing the new covenant. And he says, all right, let's look back at the old covenant. The only way that you inherited the old covenant was through the act of circumcision. He said, now we're in the new covenant. God doesn't change. What's changed is the way we're circumcised. Now, he said, it's not involving the flesh. Now there is a circumcision of the heart. And he tells us what that is in the next verse, buried with him in baptism. So what Paul just said was, baptism is the token yep. of the new covenant. If you don't have that new token, nothing else matters. Right. You do not inherit the promises. You are not considered a child of promise if you don't have that token of the covenant. Wow. Just like the Jews had to be physically circumcised, we have to be spiritually circumcised. And, and this was the problem in the book of Acts. There was a whole struggle that arose because the Jews saw these Gentiles coming in and said, well, they're not circumcised. They're not circumcised. Well, they're thinking according to the flesh, they weren't circumcised. Yep. And so when they wrote letters said, no, you don't have to be circumcised. They're saying according to the flesh. But Paul makes it clear here. There is a spiritual circumcision that is required. And if you don't have that, you're just like those under the old who refused the circumcision. Wasn't enough to claim Abraham as your father. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have that token, you don't get the promise. And, and in fact, the children of Israel wandered for 40 years. They standing at the brink of the Jordan river and God's ready to send them over to start taking the promised land. But God would not let Joshua lead them into the promised land 
until he first circumcised those that had been born in the wilderness. You're not going in there. You're not getting the promise without the token. Wow. You gotta have this symbol. This is your way of signing the contract. In other words, with any contract, you've done sales work. Mm -hmm. With any contract, there needs to be two signatures. Yep. Both parties have got to sign this for, be, for it to be in effect. So God makes his promises, puts his name on it. But we got to have a way of signing the contract too. So all these promises are out there. And as you've said, there are all these promises to Christians, all these things God says he's going to do, all these things that God tells us he wants to do for his people. But I'm telling you, our way of signing the contract is when we go down in water in Jesus' name. Amen. That's our token of a covenant. We haven't signed the contract until that happens. Now, that's not enough. Because in that, he says, we are buried. Well, what good is any promise if we're in the grave? There's got to be a resurrection. That's where receiving the Holy Ghost comes in. And again, see, why I say that this whole idea of accepting Christ is so dangerous, because it causes people to think that because they've prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever, that they've made this mental acceptance of Christ, they don't need to receive the Holy Ghost. And even some who see the need to be baptized in Jesus' name don't see the need to receive the Spirit of God. But I'm saying, you get baptized, that's a burial. Now, what good would it have done for Christ to go to the cross and go to the grave and stay in the grave? Hmm. We would not have salvation today. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ is not risen, we have no hope. Everything that we possess depends on that resurrection. And I'm saying to you that the same thing is true of us. It's not enough to be in the grave. There's got to be the spiritual resurrection, which comes through receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Until they have that resurrection, they don't have a new life. Right. And we the old life's yeah. dead, but they don't have a new life. And we wouldn't be celebrating today either if he right. just got buried. No, that's, that's right. right. That's exactly right. We, we wouldn't just have it. Now, right. you know, I did think about this this morning, and I started to say it, uh, but I, I just I didn't want to drag service out too much. But unfortunately, a lot of places you go, it seems to me they are more celebrating his death than they are his resurrection. Right. They still have him on the cross. You mm. walk into churches right. and, and, and you see the crucified Christ all around. Right. They show him in his moment of weakness, according to the flesh. Right. And, and that's the way they picture him. And that's what they celebrate. It's all about his death. It's all about his death. His death, thank God for the death. But the death would be meaningless without the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so we don't come into church and have a mournful funeral service for a dead Christ. Mm -hmm. We come into church and have a joyful celebration right. of one who overcame death Celebrate. and is alive today. Right. So that's, that's the difference mm -hmm. in what's going on. We serve a risen Savior. Yes who has now brought us back to life. We mm. were once, Paul said, dead in sins and trespasses. But through the power of the Holy Ghost, we live again. Mm. And that's what new birth 
really is all about. Amen. And one more point before we go on to another question. Think about that term in and of itself. New birth. Born again. If a person gets baptized, maybe even receives the Holy Ghost, but then continues to live the way they've always lived, how have they been born again? What purpose was it to be born again? Why have a second birth if the second one's going to end up causing you to live the same way the first one did? Right. The whole purpose for a second birth is so you'll live a different life. Mm -hmm. The first one was a life of destruction. So you don't just go through born of water, born of spirit, and then live that life of destruction again. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a transformation that, that you start living a different life and it shows that truly there has been a rebirth. I'm not the man I used to be. I am a brand new creation in Christ. I think Amen. differently. I talk differently. I walk differently. I act differently. Everything about me is different because I've been born again and it brought about a change yeah and it's like i feel like people forget that he's alive like yes. you said like he's literally like him dying was actually for our benefit like so we could have his spirit in us and with us at all yes. times um and i don't want to get too stuck on this topic but i just wanted to mention something that uh actually brother nelson preached about about in acts about like people always kind of look for themselves in scriptures but i actually feel like i'm a living scripture of yes. What happened when the disciples ended up having to get rebaptized yes. in the name of the Lord Jesus? Yes. Like yes. when he talked about that, and I'm just like, these guys already did the baptism of repentance. They were disciples yes. of the Lord already. And was it Paul that? Yes. Yeah, it was Paul. And he's like, well, did you get baptized in the Lord Jesus' name and receive the Holy Spirit? And we're like, we didn't even know about that was a thing. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, so just seeing that too, and just having that uh, reassurance, like. Even if you got baptized a different way or if you were accepting Christ or receiving Christ, whatever it even may be, but didn't follow the right steps, there's actually that circumcision still never took place. Right. And you didn't have Christ with you to walk on the journey. So that was something that kind of like just blew my mind. I was like, I actually had that happen to me. I was like, yes. that's crazy. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Bishop Riggin, for shining truth into the hearts of the listeners. On the next episode of Face the Truth, the question of where do we go when we die is a great question with an answer that you do not want to miss. Please join us next week on Face the Truth. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.